Good afternoon, church. Um, good afternoon, all our campuses and extension sites. What a great message. I'm so excited to be sitting next to the one who still makes me glow after 29 years in all the best ways. Aww. And I did have a lot of words to say when he got back from Spain because who knows? I don't know what the count is. Is it like 50,000 words a woman has to get out of her system a day? So I made him stay up all night so that I could speak to him about worldviews and dating and love. And um, here we are, and we realize it's a, it's a hefty topic to unpack in 30 minutes, but we're going to give it our best shot, okay? Beautiful. Love the second service. You're all so awake and beautiful. You look amazing. I, I heard this story about a pineapple, because this isn't just like um, a cute-looking arrangement, but I heard the story about a pineapple, and so we thought that this is a great way to open today's message. Did you know that the pineapple was considered like really rare in its day? Did anybody know that? Have you read about it that the first person who discovered the pineapple said, my goodness, this fruit that looks like a pine cone on the outside and tastes like an apple on the inside, hence the name pine, pineapple. But here was the thing, it was so rare to find that only the really wealthy could afford pineapples because it grew in warm tropical climates and they had to import them from um, like across the Atlantic Ocean. But here is the funniest thing. They would bring in these pineapples and because they were so expensive, they say that in today's currency, a pineapple would have cost you $8,000. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not that desperate for pineapple. $8,000 for a pineapple, and they wouldn't even eat it. That's the big thing. They didn't even eat it. They would just display it. Like, they would have these viewing parties, like, come and see my pineapple. Can you say that with me? Come and see my pineapple. No, don't say it. Don't say it. This <laughs> is wrong. Stop. <laughs> it, you went there. I didn't go. No way. But here's, here's the thing that is even better. Okay, you ready for this? Even better than these viewing parties that these 17th century people would have where the pineapple would be the centerpiece, it would be a sign of wealth and affluence and influence, and some people couldn't afford the pineapple. So they said, if you can't afford it, you can go Google this, you can rent my pineapple for the night. And everybody goes, wow, just say wow. I mean, renting a pineapple for a night because you are so jealous you can't afford a pineapple. But so this pineapple became a real treasured thing. And um, what does pineapples have to do with today? I think when something that is so rare and so treasured and so special becomes really common, its value diminishes. And when it loses its value, when the things about love, sex, and dating, and marriage loses its value, it becomes really cheap. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Okay, babe, take it. Take what? The next step. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what the pineapple. do you want me? Oh, do you know what I wanted <laughs> to say, though? How available are pineapples today? Like, yeah. we get pineapples in Wagmans, but Dole also gives us pineapple chunks, pineapple spears, if you don't like that, you can even get crushed pineapple. It's become really common. As we look at relationships and dating and marriage and life, so much has changed since 
the era of internet and the smartphone, I would venture to say that everybody in this place and everybody hearing my voice and those online and everywhere, uh, we all have smartphones and they say on average we swipe our phones 150 times a day to see what's on it. Now what I find so ridiculous is that they say that there is a new syndrome that has developed and it's called phantom vibration sensation, which means your body fake vibrates when your phone is in your pocket and you pull it out and you go like, oh my gosh, it's ringing. No, it's not, psych. Your body is messing with you because it, it is so used to this, this sensation on it that now people have the sensation without phones actually ringing. And, and I, I bet you even now in the service, we haven't even started and you've already swiped Instagrammed and Facebooked and Snapchat the heck out of somebody. Th that's just the way, it's involuntary. Now, the way that dating used to work, the, day that, the way that we used to find people, I would venture to say even the way that young boys growing up wanted to see their first naked woman. It, it took back then seven years of planning to get a picture this big that was handed down by some underground contact from some God-forbidden city. And, and then you have the whole group look at a picture this big, but it's no longer the case because at the very tip of your hand is the internet and right now, 36% of the content on the internet is sexual in nature. One in every four searches on the Google bar is sexual in nature. So wh what does that mean? That means how we befriend people, the way that we talk to people, the way we build relationships, the way that you find your old school friends. It has all changed and dating apps have now become a really popular thing. Now, there are so many dating apps, and, and you can only really be excited about dating apps that I'm gonna talk about if you are not married. Thou shalt not go to no dating app if thou art married, saith the Lord. Uh, are you okay with that? So one of the ones that is quite interesting is Tinder. Tinder is the most popular one. Um, right now in the United States, it was meant to, uh, for you to create a profile and then you scroll through thousands and thousands of profiles. If you see a picture that you like and a profile you like, you swipe right. If you don't, you swipe left. And then they connect you and really the intention was to connect people into meaningful relationships. But it's not what it is today. Listen, Tinder right now has become a no-strings-attached sexual encounter. And listen how bizarre this is. Over one trillion swipes on Tinder is going on. A hundred million downloads in the U.S. And in the U.S. right now, if you're between the age of 18 to 24, 80% of young adults are on Tinder looking for hookups and here is the problem. They're not looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. or a, They are looking for quick sex where the next morning you dust your hands like nothing has happened. It is like Uber Foods or DoorDash for sex. It is like really crazy quick because you see what we 
understand is that the value of sex, as Marlisa said with a pineapple, has now become so common and chunked that we don't even feel that it's wrong anymore. And for some of you maybe sitting here, you go like, oh, thank God I'm married. Tinder what? Profile what? I'm so thankful. But here is the truth. The, 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 the temptation, the very issue around these things for you is just different, but it's still there. You see, you may not understand this or agree with this, but Scripture says we have an enemy to our soul. The Bible calls him Satan, Lucifer, and his, his, his job is to create dysfunction in the harmony of what God created. This is how he works. And Marlies is going to talk a little bit more about sex. It's his uttermost pleasure to get you to have multiple sexual encounters with people because he fully understands that sex was created to fuse two hearts together as one. And the more he can get you to fuse with people that you're never going to see again, the more mass chaos and destruction is coming to your soul. But if you're married, you know what his main intention is? For you to stop having sex with the one you love because he knows it's a fusing agent that brings people to closer together. If you don't have sexual intimacy when you are married, you will drift away. It is the early signs of bigger trouble that is ahead. That's why this conversation is so critical. And today, we want to talk about some of those myths around marriage, dating, and sex. And I want you to know that it's okay for you to not agree. It's okay for you to wrestle this. But the question that we've got to get back to is this. Unless we all are anchored in a place and a worldview that's in the Word of God, there is no way that we can have a conversation that is grounding because the cultural uh, streams and currents have become so strong. So today we are speaking from Scripture that's eternal, tested, and comes out of the heart and the mouth of God. And I need to say one more thing around that. When God speaks about this, it's not to spoil our fun. I heard this analogy that is so beautiful. Then I'm going to pass to Marlies. Whenever you go to Home Depot and you buy a chainsaw, they always say, read uh, the manual first. And a chainsaw is a good thing to read the manual first. You never read the manual go like, dang, the world just wrote this manual to spoil my fun. All these rules is just to spoil my fun. No, it's not. It's so that you don't saw your freaking arm off. That's what those rules are for. It's to protect you. Have you ever considered that God puts boundaries around things to protect the beauty of the thing and what it's meant for? God is not there to spoil your fun. He's protecting you from what can ultimately hurt you if it's used out of the context of what it was created for. Uh, so we, we're going to unpack a few myths today. And the word myth actually means a widely held false belief or idea. And there'll be many myths that maybe you have held onto as truth. I know this week for me was eye-opening because I sat with some of our, like, 20-somethings. And, you know, the last time I dated was in the 80s. I'm just showing my age right now. So I cannot say that I truly understand, you know, what it's like to be 
20 in this new reality that we're trying to describe today. But there are some transcending values and things that we would love to unpack. And the first one is um, the first myth. You can read it out loud with me. It will be on the screen. Can you read that out with me? Sex is just a physical act. Now, the, the big thing about this is that more and more people are believing that. More and more millennials, they say, are believing that it's just a biological thing. It's two bodies connecting. It's a quick uh, hookup. It's a casual encounter. It's uh, quickly forgotten. But this is a total, it's like a secular, humanistic perspective that, that doesn't include God. Um, they, they say as long as you are taking the necessary precautions not to fall pregnant or uh, get a disease, you are good. Like, that is okay. But we know that that is not God's way because it is not just biological or physical. It is way deeper than that. And Pierre has spoken before about bonding and fusing in one of our earlier messages about when sticking, you stick two papers, you glue two pieces of paper together, you can pull them apart, but they won't look the same. Like, there'll be fragments and tears in it. And that's not to bring shame to those in the room today because it's beautiful that God is just a God of of new beginnings, but I wish sometimes that somebody had sat me down when I was 19 or 20 or 21 and just really unpacked this myth for me a little bit further. The Apostle Paul writes about it in the Bible, and I want us to read it out loud together. It's going to be on the screen behind me, 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. Just say yes when you see it. Let's read it together. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with a master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. How clear, right? How clear can the Bible be? Because what Paul is talking about is to become one. He's not just talking about a physical union. He's talking not just about physical tissue. He's talking about a whole person, an embodiment. Becoming one flesh is like a transformation. In fact, if you've ever been to weddings, um, I don't know what they call it when they pull the sand in, like the the, the guy and the girl comes and they have these jars of sand and they pour it together. And they're basically saying like this jar of sand now becomes a new entity. We are no longer what we were. And I looked up the word entity. It says it's a thing with distinct and an independent existence. Isn't that powerful that that is what sex is designed to do, to make us a new entity, to become one, what he is saying is astounding because he is saying sex in any circumstances is, to de- is designed to do just that, to take two and make them one, which is great in the context of marriage. But put another way, like Paul is saying, you can never have physical oneness without having whole life oneness. Would you agree with that? There are two kinds of relationships, and we all know these. The one is consumer, and the other one is a covenant relationship. Now, consumer relationships are fun because it's, well, as long as you do, uh, you know, what suits me, as long as you offer me the best price, as long as you the best deal, like, you know, I'll stick to you. But as soon as somebody better comes along or something else, something just with, you know, that suits me better, I'm out of here. Like, that is a consumer mentality. But a covenant relationship is for better or worse. Like, I'm not there, 
I'm not going to run away. Like we are together, we are in this. There's a vow we made. And the beautiful thing about a covenant relationship is it says your beauty, your frailty, your insecurities, like I'm here, we're going to get through this together. And I love that because marriage is supposed to be that kind of a relationship. It's supposed to be that covenant relationship. It's supposed to be like the love that God has for us. And maybe you're saying, but what does that have to do with sex? But it is everything to do with sex because sex is covenant, is, is meant for a covenant relationship. So Pia asked me, we were having a lot of conversation about what has become very prevalent in our days, people living together. And again, if that is you, this is not to shame you. This is just to unpack the reality that it's a very cool and happening thing is that young adults are going, well, let's not get married, but let's live together to see if we are compatible. Have you ever heard that? Like, let's just check this out. Let's see if we can do this together. But the problem is that if you are living together, it can only ever be a consumer relationship because it's a, you are going to be trying to find out if we're compatible, um, if they're good enough. And here's the greatest thing is statistics actually say that most of these um, relationships end in divorce. Uh, and, uh, it's, quite, it's quite tragic. So sex outside of marriage can never prepare you for sex inside of marriage because it's not even the same thing. Who loves C.S. Lewis? Any C.S. Lewis fans in the room? Okay, let's read this beautiful quote, C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity. He writes, The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one union, sexual, from all other kinds of union, which are meant to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude doesn't mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure, It means that you mustn't isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasure of taste without swallowing, digesting, by chewing things and spitting them out again. Like literally what C.S. Lewis is saying, you can't unscramble the eggs. Like when you've scrambled them, they they are one. Does that make sense? Yeah, myth number two, babe. Myth number two So I often hear that that sexual temptation goes away when you're married. I've heard people say, you know what Paul said? Paul says, if you burn with lust, just get married. And I go like, Paul was single. Just remember. (laughs) Because here's the interesting thing. It's always about the forbidden fruit. Let me explain to you the forbidden fruit. Um, Growing up in a home, I think all of us, Uh, leave the home over the same threshold time and time and again. But there comes a point where we sneak out of the house in the middle of the night when your parents are asleep. Now, when you sneak out of the house, it's the forbidden fruit. You cross over that threshold. There is an adrenaline rush. There is a zing to sneaking out of that house and them not knowing. Now, the forbidden zing, the fruit, the zing of it, we find that it even happened with um, the the tree, the forbidden tree. God said to Adam and Eve, you could eat of all the trees. Now, they ate of all the trees, but there were no zing in the fruit because they wanted to eat from the tree that God says, don't eat from that tree. And they felt that if we eat from the forbidden fruit, that we will experience a zing in it. Let's face it. In the same way, 
sex of marriage has a sex outside of marriage has a certain zing to it because it's forbidden. We're not supposed to do it, but this is so freaking good. Don't tell anybody. There's a zing to it. And what is so interesting is when people have, have a lifestyle of sex out of marriage, when they are married, now there's no forbidden fruit. Mm. Now there's no zing to intimacy because that sex outside of marriage was driven by the power of lust, not the power of love and covenant intimacy, relationship. And then what happens? The couples now need in the marriage, they need to introduce forbidden fruit to put zing into marriage. And some couples cannot be intimate unless they watch pornography together. And then the pornography escalates into stranger more. Um, mm, let me not even go there. Let me just leave it there. It, it gets stranger because, listen, it, it cannot be satisfied. And after a while, the relationship is flatlined because romance is not there. Uh, working hard at loving each other, being unselfish, uh, just making that person great. You want the zing, the forbidden fruit, and some couples then begin to live with an open relationship and they want to become swingers and polyamorous relationships. Go look it up. It's, it, it just becomes strange and then they get into the bedroom and now you want to do the shades of gray, which you shouldn't have watched. But if you did, Jesus will forgive you. I am only saying the handcuffs comes out and the whip comes out and the poor dog in the house doesn't know who's going to get whipped. It's just, and you go like, what is this? I'm not saying anything about it, but if your relationship is based on a forbidden fruit, where does it stop? Here is a second thought. Thank you for the left-hand side. That is all there. Uh, Proverbs says this. I love my wife. She whispers every now and then, stop, stop, don't go there. She knows you me. You never know, never know what's going to come out I of my mouth. I don't know what's going to come out I of know. my mouth. I know. We just got to trust Jesus, I baby. Know. I do. Just, just trust Jesus. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 9, 17 oh, says this. Stolen waters are sweet, and food eaten in secret is tasty. But he does not know that the souls of the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. In other words, he says, where the zing lives, the forbidden fruit. Be careful, be careful with that. Listen, if we become addicted to lust-driven sexuality, it's going to lead us into very, very strange places. So Esau is a character in the Old Testament. Abraham received all these blessings from God. God says, I will bless you, prosper you, I will multiply you, and you will become the very life giver to the nations. And that was passed on to the oldest son. And Esau was the one that was going to get that very blessing. And one day he came back from hunting and he was hungry. And his brother sold him a bowl of soup in exchange for his birthright. Now listen to this. Esau was trading away God's long life gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Can I just say this? 
many of us want to trade God's blessing and favor over our lives for a short-term satisfying of a hunger in us. Listen, why did this happen? I'm going to tell you why in the principle, and this is the principle, never go to a Wagman's hungry. <laughs> if you do, don't take a basket and don't take a cart. If you can't carry it, don't buy it. Because you will lower your judgment and you will lower your, your common sense because you are so hungry, you will buy spam. You'll buy things you've never eaten in your life. You just like want to get it. That's why I wrote this down. If you eat the right things, you will not have an appetite for the wrong things. Come on, this is good preaching. So married couples, let me just connect with you. I'm going to look right in this camera and get as close as you can because I've been married for 29 and a half years, counting in 27 days and 43 minutes. I think this is how this goes. And next week, we're going to talk about it because it's not always easy. And we've had some really terrible times that we want to talk about. Here is something I want to say to you married couples. Um, a marriage that is on autopilot will crash. The way that a marriage works well is spelled W-O-R-K, work. Listen, don't stop dating. Don't stop making yourself look good. As a pastor, so it's so frustrating for me when I see couples go through a hard time and now they want a divorce and all of a sudden, the guy looks great and the woman looks great. I go like, why don't you look great for each other? Maybe we would not be in this mess because they realize if I want to get someone else, I've got to do something about me. We've got we've to work at us. We can't look like a battleship in every day and wear the same tracksuit pants that was downgraded by your grandfather. And you come out of the house and you look like dragon from the north. And it's just like, well, this is just me. And you, it's just nasty and mean. You go like, well, you said yes. No, 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 no. When your wife comes out of the room and she looks stunning, you go like, I've realized you're so beautiful. She says, yeah, I'm going to go out with my girlfriends. And you go like, can I be your girlfriend? <laughs> can I, please, I beg you. What am I saying? I'm saying don't give up on yourself. Yeah, don't give up on yourself. Yeah. Don't give up on your spouse. Let's work at it. Because the temptation looks different, but it's still there. It's so good. I'm still stuck on soup, like chicken soup, autumn squash soup, wild rice Who soup. Who said soup? But you said soup. Iso that was a mistake. Soup. I don't even like, like soup. Soup. I love soup. And I'm just thinking, but a good soup. Did I really say soup? Iso. You said Iso exchanged oh, his birthright for a bowl of soup. Ugh. But soup can be great, but the right soup at the wrong time is still the wrong soup, yeah. right? February to December is the wrong time for soup. January Remember when we that. fast I'm gonna use is that the right analogy. time for soup. I'm gonna use it's got nothing to do with sex, love. Okay. Anyway, let's go I'm on. only Next saying. Myth. Next myth. Next myth. There is only one perfect person out there. Uh, no, I think I believe that, but no, that's not true. Yes, the craziest thing is that, have you ever heard, even when you find the right person where you think is the right, like you marry them and they change. 
Like they actually change, it's a real thing. So does that mean you just marry or find, like you date anyone because they're gonna change anyway? No, there are some non-negotiables, but I love this, you are not looking for a finished sculpture. Like if you are wanting to date and you're in your 20s, like I know we've all done it, we've made that list, the 38 things you won't compromise on. Like he's gotta look this way, he's gotta have a fat bank account, drive a good car, I'm just, like, I'm just saying, he's 21, like just, he's still a block of marble. He's not the fine sculpture that's sitting next to me on the stage today. Um, I like, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, I like to believe that in the beginning we look for a good block of marble because it really is I, I would like to believe I've made Pierre a better person. Like, that is what marriage does. Yeah. We don't marry somebody because of the final picture. We, mar we get married because there's something that I go, I love who you are, but I love what God is doing in you. I want to be a part of that. And the difference is in the ancient traditional cultures, it was always based on, um, like, social, like, the social thing was, okay, you, you guys are going to get married because you could, that will honor the tribe, that will honor your parents. And then in the other extreme, the extreme modern Western societies that we live in, it's all become about, like, my personal happiness. Like, am I happy? Will you make me happy? And I love what the writer Tim Keller says because he suggests there's a different way. He suggests that the Bible sees God as the supreme good, not the individual or the family. This gives us a view of marriage that intimately unites feeling, duty, passion, and promise. That is because at the heart of the biblical idea of marriage is covenant. Mm. Not my happiness, not for the sake of the family, but together we actually are going to become something beautiful. That's why marriage says, I'm excited about your future. I want to be a part of getting you there. I'm signing up for the journey with you. Um, will you sign up for this journey with me? Because it's not always going to be easy. And Pierre and I will talk about that next week. Um, but it's going to be worth it. And it's going to be beautiful. And this week, um, I think I did already mention it, that I spoke to some 20-somethings that the dating scene is really changing. And I thought in the middle of the night, Pierre, because Pierre was in Spain, we were talking back and forth till early hours of the morning. And I said, how do you demystify dating? Like, how do you demystify dating in a world that has become so saturated with this online hookup culture, because I want to tell you that um, dating isn't saying yes to marriage. Like, we've got to admit that. Um, it's saying yes to friendship, saying yes to celebrating life. But in our culture, it seems that when you say yes to coffee, that you are already addressing the fact of, you know, he's going to be a good baby daddy, and if she's going to be low maintenance. And the thing is, that's extreme, because on the one extreme, like, I, all I want is, like, a casual hookup to satisfy my needs. But the other extreme is I'm never gonna actually sit and have just a cup of coffee with you. I'm just gonna hang out in crowds and then you find out that she comes home and she's like, I wonder if he, like if, if, if he's interested or he's going, I wonder if she's interested. She wore my sweater. Does that mean like she was cold or she was into me or like what? Like I think both of those are extremes but I think there's a third place. I think, think it should be okay in our society 
to not go to strange places and long meals, but to go and have coffee. Would anybody agree with me? Like, have a cup of coffee if you're young. If you are looking, though, to date somebody, and Pia and I were speaking about this, so if you are looking to date somebody and you, um, you know, there's, how do I actually find this, how do I find this person? There is this one statement, uh, besides the fact that there should be these non-negotiables that we talk about, there's this one statement, have you ever heard somebody justify a relationship where they'll go, hey, like, if I just... Man, if we just go out for about 10 months, like, I know I can change that about him. Have you ever heard that? Or, like, I know she's like this, this, and this, but she has potential. Now, the word potential is a beautiful word, but it should only be used when you're talking about selling or buying a house. It should never be used um, when you're looking at finding somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with. Few suggestions. You ready for this? Do you want a few suggestions on how to date? This is just from me to you. These were written like 2 a.m. There's probably a lot more. And I'm going to share a little bit more next week when I speak to more of our young, young peeps. But this is what I loved is, um, firstly, date healthy. Like date somebody who's healthy. Not perfect, but healthy. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.33. It's going to come up on the screen that says, don't be so naive. There is another saying you know well. Can you say that out loud with me? Bad company corrupts good habits. Secondly, like date something, something, date something. <laughs> we are in the new century. Date someone, I mean, date someone, not a cyborg. Like date someone who has the same values as yeah. you. Like, I remember this message as a young child, and I'd go, oh, so lame. Like, the old people are so lame. They'd use this scripture. They'd, it's going to be on the screen, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Just say, amen, if you've heard this. Do not be unequally, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It is true. It is true. Let me tell you why. Unequally yoked is a farming analogy. So in the, in the Bible days when they'd farm, they would yoke two oxen together. And if one was weaker than the other one, like the stronger one would pull ahead and you would plow in circles. And that is an incredible analogy for how you, when you're dating somebody who you are unequally yoked to, you will be dating in circles. Isn't that amazing? I thought that was great. I had that epiphany in the middle of the night. But... Um, how do you know that that person that you're dating is equally yoked? And I think Pierce said in the beginning, your worldview, firstly, will be the ultimate filter that anchors your decision, like your direction. Is this person a Christ follower? That is always, like that is in your block of marble. Amen? Secondly, are there signs? Are there signs that Christ is at work in this person? That's the second thing in your block of marble. Like, is there signs that the Holy Spirit is active? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, long-suffering, goodness. Like, their faith muscles, how do they handle disappointment? How do they handle anger? Like, those things you want in your block of marble. Fourthly, um, like, are they passionate about their relationship with God? Those are really important things. And they're not just because I'm a pastor. But I really believe that one of the most important things is, is that person actually planted and rooted in a local church? Like, are they part of a spiritual family where they grow and they become accountable and they live in community? Because those are the things you want to connect with. I thought this was interesting. How, how do you date? So how do you date? I think you date 
one date at a time. I don't think you project 24 hours into the future or three years into the future when you are viewing this person. It's like coffee right now, let, let's just be friends. But um, I love this, I wrote this, one step at a time will always lead you into the right direction or guide you out of the wrong direction. So good. Okay? One step at a time, one step at a time. I also think that you date towards no regrets. I think that should be something that you put in your arsenal if you're dating. How do you date with no regrets? That means you carry yourself in a way that you will never have regrets. Um, even though dating is never specifically mentioned in the Bible, I love how the Bible gives us a lot of examples how to be friends with people. And 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, support one another, keep building each other up as you have been doing. That's a good thing to do. Fifthly, I think we date. How do you date? I think you always maintain your boundaries. You date with wisdom. And Luke spoke a lot about it last week, but there are some good things. Think about, decide ahead of time. Like, what are the, some of the conversations you're going to have? How will you honor and respect yourself? How will you honor and respect that person? How do you guard your heart? There are just things like going to an apartment and watching a movie at 10 o'clock at night. Is just, it's just foolish. Like, you don't put yourself in those places. Like, how do you date with wisdom? Can you say date with wisdom? Date with wisdom. And then I love this because I've sat with so many people who go, like, I, I don't want to hurt her feelings or I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I think I wanted to say, I think it's important to have the courage to stop, like, to stop that dating or coffee arrangement if you know it's not going in the, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have stepped into that, you've maintained boundaries, you've protected yourself, like, you've been kind I think not every date has to be like a total success, um, but you can't treat dating like marriage. I think the big thing is that being kind is honoring that person enough to honestly end it when it needs to be ended. Because here's the other thing, the statement, you are closer to finding your spouse when you are single than when you are dating someone that is not right for you. Isn't that so powerful? Good. So good. And then before Pierre um, you know, just closes up for us, I think another way is that you always, while you're dating, you're working on yourself, but you are living in community. Don't live in a bubble. Don't become isolated because relationships and community is that mirror back at you. So beautiful. Um, and so I think we can go on and on, but does that help some of our dating people in the, in the house today? Yeah. So good. I'm going to ask the musicians come out and get ready. I want to talk about really the last myth. As a pastor, I've heard this. We as um, human beings, we have theories because we love loopholes. One of the loopholes that I have seen is that somebody told somebody else, if you can run away from a credit card company for three years, they will write your debt off. And um, if you believe that, um, your $500 debt is going to become $4,500 debt. They love you. Keep running. There's no debt forgiveness. They're going to get you. The, the other one is the robber on the cross. In the last moment, 11th hour, he said, forgive me. And then it's all over. The theory around this, you can live like anything and do whatever you want. Just have five minutes before you die. You say, Jesus, forgive me. And Jesus goes like, dang, another one got through the hole. Shh, we've got to close this loophole. Right? Do you really think it works this way? No, God says, 
I'm not going to be mocked. Here is one that I've heard when it comes around sexuality. I've just got to get this wildness out of my system. I've just got to go like, oh. And then when it's like out, and it's, I'm just going to cover it with perfume. And as long as my spouse doesn't know, I just need to just have one affair and just try it. If it doesn't hurt other people, then I can ask God's forgiveness and He will forgive me. Will God forgive you? Absolutely. But did you know that God's highest good for your life is not forgiveness? Do you know that it's blessing? It's His goodness. It's His favor over your life. Because this is a statement I wrote. He says, I said this, it is not what you want to get out of your system. It's what you will put in your system when you do that kind of thing. And I want to say this. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It comes home with you. You carry it in your heart for a very long time because you see, at the end of the day, you cannot do what you want to do and then have all that God has for you. Proverbs chapter 6, 27, and I will read it to you as we conclude today. Has this been great? Yeah, we've been at a wonderful time. Proverbs 6, 27, can you build a fire in your lap and not build your pans? Can you walk barefoot and not coals and not get blisters? Uh, in the same way, when you have sex with your neighbor's wife, touch her and you pay for it. No excuses. I love this one. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. Verse 32, adultery is a brainless act, soul-destroying, self-destructive. Verse 33, expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. So the question is not, how close can I get to the edge and not fall off? That's a dumb question. Because much smarter people than you walked at the same edge and they fell and they had eternal regrets. The question is really this. What is the cost to my relationship with Jesus? What's the cost to my freedom? What is the cost to God's best for my life? Because it is found on the path of obedience and pleasing God. Can I just look you in the eye in the camera and just tell you that God, His thoughts over you are good thoughts. The desires in your heart, He doesn't want to frustrate that. He has the best for your life. And you may be sitting here and you go like, Dang, but you have no idea how I've messed up. I've had hookups, and I have all kinds of ups, and I have done really dumb things. Does that mean I am ruined? You may be sitting here and say, we're living together. What now, Pastor P? Must we go home and argue and fight and stuff? And I go like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, think about our God and His love for us. His desire is to lead us to a place of His best for us. So Jesus left a large crowd and He went to go sit at a well in a town with reputation. Now, I can tell you it's bad ministry when you leave the crowd to go speak to one because you can influence so many other people, Jesus. And Jesus waited for a woman with a reputation. She had five husbands. She was divorced five times. 
And the guy she's shacking up with right now is not even married to her. Our God would interrupt a gathering to go wait for someone with a reputation. You know why? Because our God has an amazing ability to restore it all, to bring forgiveness, bring grace, heal wounds, heal scars, and bring hope back into the human heart. But every single time he says these words, remember the woman caught in adultery. By the way, the guy was caught in adultery too. So let's just make that clear. Adultery on your own is kind of hard. I'm only saying, I'm only saying. Some of you will get it when you Google adultery. And Jesus said to this woman, you are forgiven. Now go home and sin no more. I think God's gift to us is forgiveness and grace. Us honoring that gift is going home and changing our ways to align with his desire so that we can get to the joy of our desires and we know that our father is the giver of those i'm going to ask that you close your eyes where you're sitting just for a second i'm going to ask that you don't run out of service right now just give us one moment god so many beautiful people are sitting in this place I have no doubt that they love you. No doubt that they're sitting here because somewhere deep in their heart there is a desire for you, for your son Jesus. I pray for those who are single. Pray for those who are dating. Pray for those who've been hurt through dating. I pray for those who've been through abusive relationships. Pray for those who are courting, those who are engaged and those who are married and those who are in the pain of becoming strangers after many years i pray that the loving kindness of heaven will come close to every heart and god that you will breathe hope in us all and anchor us deep into your love that we will be a people you say if you love me then follow my decree. Let us be that people, oh God. Now while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, everything we said is so important, but this for me far outweighs it all. Because Jesus came to die on the cross, was raised from the dead, because the Bible says we all were like sheep that have gone astray. But there was a high price to be paid for us. Jesus paid it. And as a good shepherd, every day he comes out and he calls the names of the sheep who are still wandering, lost, and some rebellious. And by the nature of being called sheep, sheep go astray. That's why he is the good shepherd coming look for his sheep. And today, wherever you're hearing my voice, the Good Shepherd is calling. Some of us can hear his voice right now that are lost, that are wandering. And he says, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart because I will not plead with you forever. 
His desire is to simply make peace between you and the Father and lead you safely home. If you are hearing the echoes of the call of God in your heart, it's that feeling of butterflies, that feeling of God, I want to come home. I want to be forgiven. Wherever you are, knock and ask, you come to the front. Would you just raise your hand and drop it so I know who I'm praying for? And I can see hands are going up, hands are going up, hands are going up. Hands are going up, Greece Campus Life Center. Oh, hands are going up. This is such a beautiful sight. If you are online, you can simply click on the respond button because God is where you are. I'm going to lead us in a prayer at all of our campuses, extensions. Those who raise your hands, you want to just whisper this prayer with me. And church family, this is the most important moment for me. Would you pray this prayer with those who may be praying this for the first time so they know they are loved? And they're coming back to the Father. Just say, Heavenly Father, here I am. I hear your voice. I'm coming home. You said if I call upon your name, you'll save me. And this is me calling. I believe Jesus is your son that died for my sin, rose from the dead. Create in me a clean heart. Forgive me my sin, my rebellious deeds. Lead me safely home. Thank you that you're a promise keeper. And you are hearing this prayer. I believe my life will never be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.